0: Matthew chapter 2 is where we'll be. So um, when we lived in North Carolina um, years ago, I was a youth pastor at a church there in eastern North Carolina. We would come down I-95 to come back home to see family here in Somerville. And I don't think it's there anymore, but there was a billboard that was up, and it was up all year, and it was not a south of the border sign. Okay? It was... Wise men still seek him. How many of y'all remember seeing that billboard? Or maybe it's a bumper sticker now. A lot of you. Wise men and women still seek him, and him referring to Jesus, Jesus the Christ. And today, we're going to look at the only passage in the Bible that speaks about these wise men, or wise guys, depending on how you want to say it, and we're going to get their story and why their story is in here, and part of why it's in here, why it matters, um, what I want us to do today is I want us to learn a lesson from the wise men, and that lesson is this. It answers the question, what do we do when we hear from God? What do we do when we hear from God? Now, you can hear from God in a lot of different ways. You can hear from him through the word of God, through a sermon, through a song, through a sunrise. You can, you can hear from God in a lot of different ways. It doesn't really matter how, as long as you're running it through the filter of Scripture when you hear from God and you know you've heard from God, what do we do with that? The wise men give us some, a great picture of what that looks like. A couple other characters in the story that do not give us a great picture of that, and we'll show the contrast as we work through this. So we're going to start in verse 1, just 12 verses here, and we're going to get this from Matthew's account. We have Mary and Joseph who are participants in this part, but they don't say a word, and they don't really need to. Jesus is here. He doesn't say a word, but man, he speaks at the same time. I love it. Let's look at this together. Starting in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose... I'm sorry. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star... They were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for giving us this clear word from you. We thank you that you've preserved it over the centuries and that it is here for us to not only read today but to ponder and think about and allow it to read us even as we read it. Lord, may we see you, may we hear from you, and may we have the courage to do what it is you put on our hearts to do through it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, make no mistake, Jesus isn't a myth Not a legend, he is a person who was born in history, so much so in history that they rearranged the calendar around his birthday, right? I mean, we have BC before Christ literally is what it stands for, and then there's some Latin AD that says in the year of our Lord, and it's zero, and I know it's not perfectly aligned now that we know a little more, but basically time is split on the birth of Jesus because he's that profoundly impactful in the history of our world. He was born. Where was he born? He was born in a little town, not in a major city. He was born in a, in a stabled area, not in a palace, which is what the wise men were expecting, actually, which is why they went to the palace. This is why they went to Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel. They didn't find him there. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, a town about six miles south of Jerusalem, not in Jerusalem, the city of David, but in the town of David, where David was born. And where the line of Davidic kings were counted at every census, and of course it's appropriate that Jesus, in the line of David, would also be born there. Born in Bethlehem in Judea. That's the region, kind of like us saying the Low Country, okay? Kind of like that. Judea, also known as Judah. And when we quote, when we look at the quote, the, the scribes quoted the prophet. They were quoting the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah, Micah, Micah, and and Micah is the one that tells us. This is what I told you 500 years ago, the the kid's going to get born here, right? You know, in this little town. And so that's what happens. And, And this is happening during the time of King Herod. Let me tell you a little bit about King Herod. King Herod was king of the Jews, even though he wasn't a Jew. He was an Edomite. What's that? It's not something that Terminix needs to be called for. And Edomite are the followers of the people around the region, Edom, which is not really, I don't know if it's named after, but follows under Esau. Who's Esau? Esau is the brother of Jacob. So if we go back 2,000 years before Jesus, 4,000 years ago from here, roughly, we have Abraham, two sons, Ishmael, father of the Arabs, and Isaac, father of the Jewish nation. Sorry, did I do that right? Abraham, Isaac, right? Isaac and Rebekah have Esau and Jacob. Esau's the firstborn, but he loses his birthright through a series of circumstances. Jacob gets it. Jacob renames Jacob Israel, and he has 12 sons and a daughter, and the 12 tribes of Israel flow from there, one of which is Judah, the line of David. Okay, so that's where this is coming from. King Herod is an Edomite. He is a descendant not from Jacob, but from Esau. So you can imagine how the Jews feel about being ruled by one of those other guys. Not happy. And most of the Jews hated him. He was a powerful king. He was a tyrant. He was a lustful king, lots of wives. But he was not so attached that he wouldn't kill them if they threatened his throne. That, so he would kill his sons. He would kill uncles. It, it, it didn't matter. If you were in the way of him keeping his throne... You're done. Violent, wicked, tyrant is is Herod, and probably a little loco. I mean, that's just kind of how I read some of this. I don't know that. Nope, doesn't say it in scripture, but he does seem a little off, uh, more than a little off, and he's uh, maybe obsessed is part of it. And so we have this scene where the wise men are going to make their way to this city, and they're going to go to the palace. Makes sense, right? You're looking for the, the one who's born king of the Jews. You're going to go to the capital city, and you're going to go look for the palace. And who's king? Well, it's Herod. Let's go check him out. I don't know if they knew he was a Jew or not. And they might have been scratching their heads going, well, I'm not sure how this is going to work since he's an Edomite. But nevertheless, we'll get some uh, Linder's chocolate, and we'll go see him. So they, they showed up. So this is what happens next. The Magi from the, came, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Some translations say something like, we saw his star in the east, which makes absolutely no sense because they're in the east and they'd have to go west. And if his star is in the east, then why are they going west? And it also, this Hebrew word can also be translated to the effect where the sun rises or where the star rises, which is why NIV translates it um, when it rose. Okay. I don't know if that's a confusion point for you or not. It doesn't bother me. So uh, my only little comment on the star is this. God could have used and orchestrated astronomy in such a way that it created a superstar or the appearance of a superstar. Could have done that. Like Gene said, if he created it, he can move it around. He also could have done something totally unique in the moment and then bring it and make it go away in the moment. He could move it however he wanted we have precedent for that. If you look at the, uh, the Exodus, Moses, 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, how were they led? Pillar of fire at night, pillar of cloud by the day. God has no problem directing nature to get you to look at Jesus. Okay? It can be nature as in the Grand Canyon, and it can be nature as in something that it only happened once and you got to see it. And you're the only one that got to see it. God can do that. He directs nature and he, and he draws nations, and that's kind of the point. So don't miss the point in the astronomy, that's all I'm trying to say. There's a star and it's bright and it's so unusual for whatever reason that these men, these wise men who were coming, who were very, not just smart, but educated and at least had access to astronomers, if they weren't astronomers themselves, knew that what they were looking at and what they were hearing about was so unusual that they had to do something with it. Now, some people think they made a connection to Numbers 24. And in the story of Numbers 24, we hear the story of Balaam, uh, the false, I guess he's a prophet of sorts, a seer of sorts. And that whole story is in Numbers 24. But basically what happens in that story is God God is moving uh, Israel towards the promised land. They're almost there. And the king of Midian is is there. And he's terrified of this massive army that's been defeating every single uh, foe they've met. And so the king of Midian goes, We're in trouble if we don't, we need, to, we need a superpower weapon of some kind. So they, he goes to Balaam, this prophet, and he says, I'm going to pay you all the money you could want to curse them. That's all you've got to do is curse them. So the guy's like, the, whole, the long story short, God says, Nay, nay, no cursing from you. In fact, you're going to bless them, and, and I'm not paying you anything. And that's what happens and king of Midianites pulling out his hair, he doesn't understand, and Israel is blessed, Midianites are defeated, and they enter into the promised land. That star is mentioned by Balaam in those prophecies, that star and the ruler that would come. And so it's possible, we don't know for sure, that these wise men had gotten a hold of Scripture, the the Hebrew Bible, and they would have known and connected the dots, if you will. Okay? Now, we don't know that. There's a lot of speculation, a lot of smarter people than me saying stuff like that. I'm just passing it on, no extra charge for that. Okay, so here's why I share it, though. It's because I'm going to get back to this, but I think that the wise men heard God's word three different times. One is speculation, two are in the text. That was my speculation. I think they were, these were men of resource, great resources. They were wealthy. These were men who probably had great political influence if they weren't outright kings or rulers themselves. And they, they were educated, which means they read everything that was available. And back in that day, very little was written down. So if it was written down and you could afford it, you would either buy it or you'd go see it and read it for yourself. So I think they probably were familiar with that. Don't know. Could be wrong. So, you know, carry it with the... Just carry that one open-handed and let it go easily if you need to. The other thing that's a question is, where do these guys come from? We know they came from the East. If you have to say, well... From the east of what? And so you go to, well, who's writing? Matthew's writing. Where is Matthew? In the Middle East, specifically in Israel. And he is somewhere west of the Jordan River. And so if you lived in Jerusalem in that day, and you you say they were from anywhere over there, you would say the east. Sorry. East. Okay? And where we're standing right here, that's east. But you see what I'm saying, right? Anything just past the Jordan River is considered east. So they could literally have been just across the river, or they could be where a lot of scholars think, all the way to India, maybe not quite that far, maybe modern-day Iran, modern-day Iraq, somewhere in there. Lots of people think that. I'm more convinced by the argument that he's in closer in the Arabian desert there in the east, because that's where they had gold, frankincense, and myrrh in great abundance, which is the three gifts that came. Plus, I think there was an essential oils outlet mall there, and they got the frankincense. <laughs> oh, no, that was another... So you know what I'm saying? They're they're in that region. It's been easy for them to come. Wouldn't have been quite as long a journey if they'd come further away. Could have been as far as 800 miles away. The point is, they come from the east, and they're not Jews. That's really important, because here we have the first Gentiles coming to Jesus, and God is drawing them. They're not just showing up. God is drawing them. We know from Luke that the shepherds get there quicker. The shepherds are Jewish shepherds, and they're they're the first ones, they're probably the first evangelists, all right? The angels show up and say, hey, go see the baby, and they go see the baby. Here we're going to see that the word for Jesus isn't baby. It's like young child, like maybe a toddler. So they're going to get there later, weeks, months later, okay? So let's keep reading. Let's see what it says here. So we saw a star when it rose, and they've come to worship him. Now, I also will say this. I don't know when they say worship here. We we could easily jump to, oh, they're worshiping Jesus as Lord and Savior. Probably they don't know as much as we know about this. But they see something unique in this king and in this birth from other kings that have been born. They see something that moves them to act. And I think they read the Hebrew scriptures and they connect the dots and they go, this is, there's something here that we need to go see. And I don't know why they felt compelled to go see, but the point is they did and I think in so many words, God spoke whether you want to say he spoke through the star, whether he spoke through Numbers 24, whether he did both. He spoke and they acted. And why would they act except that they believe something's afoot? And they go. So they, show, they go to worship him. However they see him, they're worshiping him. They're honoring him. And they're going to do so with their talents, treasure, and time. Time and energy. They're going to spend a lot of effort and energy to get there, and they're going to take gifts. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and that's major understatement, Matthew, thank you for for dialing it back, and all Jerusalem with him, and they would have been disturbed for a number of reasons. Some people would have been excited, oh, finally we're getting rid of that dreaded King Herod, and others would have been like, their whole little kingdom that they're working on is going to get disrupted, because if Herod goes, they go. Kind of like every election year, right? Everybody in D.C. is all nervous because they're like, do I need to extend my rent or do I need to go move to Kansas? You know, who knows what to do? So they, um, so they uh, are all disturbed and there's this uproar and this turmoil happening in the city. Verse 4. When he had called together all the people, this is when he is King Herod. When King Herod pulled, called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, that's another name for scribes, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Now remember, Messiah is not a name, it's a title, and it also means, it's another way of saying Christ. It's the title of the Messiah, or king, anointed one is what it means. Where is he to be born? So the prophecy that is is here in Micah is about not just a ruler, but the ruler, the king. Again, I don't know that they understood how much greater than all other kings ever he is. I don't know that they really got that. But nevertheless, they knew this is a big deal. It's been prophesied for a long time. Literally, you and I could go back to Genesis 3 and see where Jesus is prophesied. It's, and that's, you know, beginning of creation. So it's, it's been there. So he asked the question, why does Herod ask the question? Because he doesn't know the answer. He doesn't know the word of God. Really hard to obey the word of God if you don't know what it says. So he does have enough sense to ask those who do. And this is the second group of people. We have uh, the scribes and the priests. And so he asks them, where is he to be born? And they say in Bethlehem, in Judea, which was correct. And then they quote, their, they give their references. But you, Bethlehem, um, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. This is kind of like us saying, and you... Um, and you, jedburgh no offense, Jedbergians, um, uh, you're not so small, a ruler can't come from you, okay? You are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For, and here's why. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Sounds a lot like David, which is line of David, which is very appropriate because David was a shepherd king and Jesus is a shepherd king. Then, verse 7 then Herod called the magi secretly, and found out from them the exact time the star appeared. Now I don't know the difference between uh, this meeting and the first meeting, other than the first meeting when a group comes from far away to visit a king. There's all their entourage, and there's all this formality and all this pomp and circumstance because there's you know everybody's trying to you know talk about how great they are in, in all their symbolic ways. That's not what this is. This is. Herod is in the throne room, or maybe even in another room, and he says, bring those three guys back. Now, it wasn't three. We don't know how many it was, okay? Um, probably people think three wise men because there were three gifts, and maybe they just deduce that's possible. And it could have been three. It could have been 30. We, we don't know. I'll tell you this. The entourage was probably very large because of the money that they had and the access they had and, and the, the importance of this mission of theirs. So he calls them together secretly and he says, um, he wants to know, when exactly did this star appear? And this is what Herod's up to. He's doing the math. He's counting backwards to figure out, when was this child born? Because I need to take care of this threat to my throne. And that's not what he's going to say, of course. He sent them to Bethlehem after they told him the answer to his question. And he said, go and, and uh, search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I, too, may go and worship him. Yeah, worship him to death. Verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went on their way. They'd, they may or may not have picked up on this. I don't know. They may have been clueless about where Herod was coming from. But anyway, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them. Notice that. It went ahead until it stopped over, what does it say? Stopped over the place where the child was, not the baby. Okay, so this star's moving in such a way that they're on the ground looking at it and they can see it's moving. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at the stars, they don't look like they're moving to me. I have to, you know, I have to have instruments and a lot of patience to see if they're, you know, watch them move across the horizon. I know they're moving or we're moving or both. But anyway, I know there's movement and I know that by the naked eye, it doesn't look like there's movement, but to them it does which tells me this light is a lot closer to the surface, and it's for that purpose, to show them the way. I love this. This is a great message you could say to somebody. This is a great 60-second sermon. When you see the light, follow the light, right? Keep your eyes on the light and follow the light, and he won't lead you astray. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So um, that doesn't mean every light is Jesus, right? We know the enemy can disguise himself as an angel of light, use discernment. But in this case, they followed his word, I think, by following, if they had the Hebrew scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, by following the star that they clearly thought was something more than just another star or starburst or whatever you want to call it. And they got to hear more of God's word when they went to the palace and they got to hear firsthand from the scribes and the priests when and where. Well, I guess they got to hear where. They already knew when. So basically their pattern is what do you do when you hear from God? That's our question, right? They, um, they heard it, and then they acted on it. And you're not going to act on something you don't believe is true. So they're evidencing their faith and belief that this is from God and it's worth acting on, even at great personal cost and risk. Because the trip would have been risky Um, to bandits and all all that goes on with travel back in that day, okay? So, he sent them to Bethlehem. Go. Okay, we talked about after they'd heard, they went away. The star they had seen, I'm in verse 9, when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed because they're like, we've been to the palace and this baby's not here. Where do we go now? This king doesn't even know. Clearly, it's not one of his Verse 10, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child. Notice it doesn't say with his father, Joseph. With his mother, Mary. He is reminding us, Matthew's reminding us, Joseph is his legal father, but not his actual blood father, right? Holy Spirit, virgin birth, all that stuff, okay? But Mary is truly his mother, Joseph marries her, making him legally his son, and he names Jesus as the angel instructed. So he becomes the legal heir, making Jesus the line of David, both through mom and through adopted dad, surrogate dad, okay? Then then this is what they do. They get there, and what do they do? They bow down and worship. Now, they went to a lot of trouble to get there, a lot of time researching what to do, where to go, whether to go. Time and energy to create, you know, you, could, you didn't just hop into your explorer and drive across the desert, right? You had to get the camels watered, you had to make sure you had food for the journey, you had tents, and so you've got all this entourage of, man, we've got, you think, you, you, you people with little kids, and you have to pack up your pack and plays, and oh, we have so much, and the minivan's full, they had a lot of stuff, and they didn't even bring the little kids. A lot of trouble, a lot of expense, a lot of risk. A lot of time and energy, and they came. And then all that they did to do what? To worship. What if we spent effort going to worship? Now, I mean, yes, it takes effort to get up before you want to. It takes effort to get kids in the car, sometimes a lot of effort, sometimes a crowbar. I mean, it takes a lot of energy and time to get people to come to this place. And, and, but I'm not even limiting it to this. What about when you get up in the morning, right? Worship is not just what happens on a Sunday morning or when you gather. Worship is when you breathe. But But there is a time to gather. There is a time to go to the trouble to say, we're going to make sure that we're there when everybody else is there. There's something about gathering that amplifies what we offer to God, whether it's song or prayer or just listening and and saying, I want to take this and be inspired and go. What if we really put forth effort? What does that look like? I mean, I could go off on that, but you're smart. You could figure that out. What do I need to do to come prepared to worship? Think about that. Think about that. So they came in worship. Now, they give us some hints here. Like I said, they they come with the the whole, we've heard it all before, time, talent, and treasure, right? They spent the time to come. They used their talents and skills and their education and their experience and their gifts to figure out where to go when. Okay, I don't think they had a QR code. Oh, Jesus is in Bethlehem. Look, Look at my camera. It tells me right where he, don't have that. So they have to figure that out. It's like national treasure to figure out where to go to church. There's so many clues. And then, they brought something. Okay? Now don't go cynical on me and go, ah, oh, he worked the offering into the message. I'm not bringing this out. I'm showing you what's there. Okay? That's not my point. This is much bigger than that. Brings these things. These, Here's what God's doing for Mary and Joseph. There, he's not working. Right? Joseph and Mary left Nazareth to come to Bethlehem for the census. They're poor to start with. They don't have a lot. And now they're there. And what's about to happen is they're going to get run out of there and they're going to become fugitives, refugees. And they're going to be run out of their own country and they're going to end up in Egypt. Now, how do you support your family without your tools? He's a carpenter, right? He's got nothing but the donkey and the stuff they put on the donkey. Okay? I'm sure it was a good donkey, but they, that's all they've got. And God brings them a treasure trove of resources they can flip into resources to use to survive and even thrive while in Egypt until it's time for them to come back. God provides for those he guides. Okay? And sometimes it's in the form of, of, of a check or a cash Or uh, sometimes it's in the form of something totally different. And God expects you to take that and leverage that in some way. The point is that God provides. He's not a God of scarcity. He's a God of of abundance. And we need to believe and and, and act like we believe that. So then they opened their treasure, their treasurers, and presented him with the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. and And then it gives us this ominous, verse 12, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Just a side note on that. When God gets a hold of you, he's going to send you back a different way. So our grandson's a little over one year, one year old, and when I, we got a couple of cool beach pictures this week of him just on the beach with his parents, and, and I just stare at this photo, and I'm just... I'm totally in grandparent mode. I'm like, oh, he's, he's amazing. And he's our first, so you know, give me a little bit of slack, okay? But I mean, he's just, and those close-up pictures and those eyes, and you're just like, oh, man, you're just like, it's, 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 it's undescribable unless you're a grandparent, and then you know exactly what I'm talking about. I want you to imagine these guys. They've gone to all this effort. And I think, this is my totally, my speculation. I think Jesus is a toddler at this point. Obviously, he's not two. And the reason is because when Herod says, We're going to take care of this, this threat to my throne, we're going to kill every child, every boy, two years old and under, he's not going to cut it close. He's going to overdo it. I think he's probably, a, 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 you know, 10 to 14 months old. Imagine just how enraptured they'd be. Oh, this toddler, is so cute. I mean, I'm sure Jesus was well-behaved, right? Never pooped in his diaper. Um, That's not true. You know that, right? He was human, okay? But man, he would have been awesome, right? But imagine looking into his eyes. Now, just anytime you look in someone's eyes, it's just incredibly intense and intimate. It doesn't matter whose eyes you're looking into. It's intense. It's why we don't do it much because we are not comfortable doing that. But imagine looking into the eyes of the child and your first impression is timeless. Ageless wisdom. You're looking into the eyes of the one who created you. They created you from scratch. I can't imagine other than I would just probably just fall into a puddle of tears and just kind of move away and and utter, I mean, this is holy. And so I just, I can't imagine. And then they get to hear from God a third time. And that's why they go back a different way. Changed, not just physically another way. I think they go back new. I think they they are, they are all in with this babe king. They don't know why. They don't, he didn't have to say a word. And God speaks through a dream. And again, they act because they trust the source of the dream. So Herod didn't know the word, so he couldn't follow and act on it. The scribes and the priests knew the word, and they failed to act on it. This reminds me of the passage that Jesus talked about in Matthew 7, right? Where he says, the one who built his house on the sand that was destroyed in the storm is the one who heard the word of God and did nothing with it. They did not act on it. But the wise men heard the word, and every time they heard the word, they acted on it in faith, by grace, through faith. That is how we are saved, that is how we are sanctified, and that is how we will be glorified, okay? It's not rocket science. It's incredibly difficult to do, isn't it? Which is why we need God's grace. And if you're not turning to him and asking for it, if you're not willing to humble yourself and say, I need something to help me do what I want to do, but don't have the power to do, Lord, you're going to you're gonna have to provide. And didn't I just tell you he's the God of provision? Absolutely, he loves that prayer and he will respond and answer that prayer from a heart that is humble and is reaching out. God wants to give to you. He wants to bless you and that just moves you to want to worship him even more. Maybe that's the definition of authentic worship. When you do it, you want to do it again. I don't know, just a thought. Let's close with this. Answers to our question, right? Lessons from the Magi, from the the wise guys. What do you do when God speaks? You act on it. How do you act on it? Like Joseph, quickly and completely. Let's pray. God, I thank you for making some things just so clear to us. And that, that sometimes is the barrier and the obstacle for us. It makes it hard for us to do things because we're not, quite, we're not quite sure what to do. But Lord, when we have heard from you, when we have heard clearly, and then we hesitate, that's disobedience. And that's where we get stuck. And so Lord, I pray that you'll just help us to see the wisdom in just saying, Yes, Lord, even before you ask. That we would just live with a posture that we're ready to go wherever you lead us. And that just because we've got all our plans made and we've got it all figured out, that you won't throw a wrench into that. I have a feeling Mary and Joseph did not want to go to Egypt. And yet you used it to save their very lives. Lord, it's Christmas season. We're going to have lots of challenges. If we haven't already, this year has been one challenge after another for many of us. Lord, you have oftentimes given us a way out, and we have not taken it because we're not sure we can trust you. We would never say that, Lord, but we do it. Help us to trust you more. Help us in our unbelief. Forgive us for our unbelief. And help us to remember that the evidence of our faith is seen in our actions. And Lord, may the fruit of that be lives touched this Christmas season as it's about as easy as it will ever get to point people to the true reason for Christmas. The true story that is his story. And may we be changed by it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.